Season four of Letcentric Radio is sponsored by Book Taco, an online program for managing independent reading in grades K-8. Nowadays, teachers are thinking about classroom management a bit differently, mainly that we're managing students online. Book Taco has always had the tools to help you manage your readers. I'll explain more about it later on in the episode. Welcome back to Litcentric Radio, the podcast that's a literacy coach in your pocket. I'm your host, Dr. Julie Webb. So, are you hanging in there? That's my question for you this week. How's it going? Are you connecting with students? Are you taking care of yourself? Are you helping your fellow teachers, your colleagues? I'd like to know in this online remote distance learning environment, whatever you want to call it nowadays, I want to know what's going well for you because it seems like we talk so much about, you know, what we're struggling with or all there is, you know, to learn the new platforms or at least things that are new to us. How do you take a lesson that maybe has always gone well in the classroom and modify it somehow to salvage it, right, to save it so that it still works well for students? What is going well for you? I'll tell you, my daughter's teacher, I think, has done a fantastic job on the video conferencing software that she's using. My daughter gets to see her teacher and classmates twice a week, and I really appreciate how her teacher's done a few things that I think have really supported students, and I know they've supported my daughter for sure. She First, she developed some really simple norms for them to follow. They're more like, kind of like classroom rules, but really it was just more about you know, being respectful in the online space and, you know, managing your materials so you're not walking around the house with an iPad and all those kind of things that little kids want to do. Um, So she really tried to orient them to the online environment and teach them very quickly how to mute and unmute themselves and just do some basic things. And my daughter took to that really well. I think all the kids really did. They just had to practice it really the one time. And by the time they uh, got together the next couple of days, Uh, all the kids knew what to do. So just some really basic kind of thinking about how to communicate that to a first grader. I really appreciated that. And she's also, I think, doing a great job trying to keep it as interactive as possible. She's not pushing a lot of academics in that time. It's really more about connecting with kids and, you know, what are you thinking about? How are you feeling? What's going well for you? You know, and she takes all answers. Some kids have been sad. Some kids have been excited. Some kids have been you know, tired, whatever it is, right? It's just, it's good to hear from everyone and and to be honest about it. And I think the part, honestly, that's made a really big difference is just how much energy that her teacher brings to those calls. I think you've probably seen yourself by now on a call, (laughs) whether it's just with colleagues or uh, with students, maybe you've seen yourself on video. Sometimes that can be a horrifying prospect. (laughs) Even just listening to myself on the podcast can be kind of weird, Uh, but you get used to it like anything else. And uh, I think what folks underestimate is when you are speaking into a microphone Um, You know, whether it's audio or you're just, you know, you've got your iPhone and you're taking video and trying to to demonstrate something and communicate something to someone else. I think we underestimate how much energy that actually takes. I kind of uh, equate it to the amount of energy it takes 
to greet students on the first day of school and keep that first day afloat. That is such an exhausting day uh, for so many reasons. And I kind of feel like when you come to a podcast that someone's uh, putting together and when you watch a video that a teacher's put out there online, like, you know, some of the like welcome to writing, some of those videos I've been putting out on YouTube to help folks out. Um, I think we underestimate how much, not just how much work goes into that, but how much energy it takes to, you know, look excited and communicate and try to reach this fictional person, this imaginary person that you're speaking to, like I'm speaking to right now. I'm envisioning who you might be, but of course you're not in the room with me. So it's just a funny, funny situation to be in. But uh, I do appreciate the energy that my daughter's teacher puts into those calls uh, it sounds great. My daughter really responds to it, even if uh, she's a little bit shy to be on camera like that herself. Um, but I notice that after those calls, it really sets a great tone for my daughter for the rest of the day. And she's ready to, you know, get back to her schoolwork and, and stay focused. And I think just having that routine with her teacher has made a really great difference. So I, for one, I'm going to be emailing her teacher and thanking her for that and just giving her that feedback because I know um, you're experiencing what uh, podcasters like me or or people who put you know videos out on YouTube or even blog posts on your website. It's strange to be writing or speaking or videotaping out there in the world and not getting feedback from folks or the feedback is you know six months from now. And uh, that's one of the perils about communicating online. And now I think a lot of teachers are realizing, oh, yes, like the response time is completely different. So I encourage you, like I'm going to do, if you're a parent, reach out to your child's teacher and tell them something that they're doing really well, something that's going well, because teachers, we don't know, right? We're, we're teaching in this void right now, it feels like, and we don't have the feedback we're used to seeing, and we're not sure how to evaluate that. So reach out, let your principal know what's going well, tell the superintendent what's going well. Um, and if you don't mind, reach out to a podcaster like me and tell them what's going well for you. <laughs> Is there something they're doing that's working? Um, and if something isn't working, you know, tell them, give them a suggestion about how to tweak that and make it a little bit better. Um, but everyone could use some positive feedback, I think, right now. So I uh, challenge you to do that, to reach out to someone, even if it's just the people, you know, at your grocery store. Thank them for being there. Thank them for, you know, something small that they're doing. Um, people really, I think, need to hear it right now more than ever before. So that's my challenge to you. And I hope that you can uh, continue focusing on reaching out to your students in any way that you can, even if it's in writing, by phone, email, video, whatever you can do. Your kids are so happy to see you and they have pretty low expectations. They really just want to see your face and hear your voice. And it's um, you're a very calming presence for them. So I hope that you know that and you remember that and just keep reaching out and doing what you're doing because you're doing a great job. So in today's episode, we're going to take a look at a lovely book I learned about years ago from a wonderful instructional coaching friend of mine. And uh, it's called The Invisible Boy, and it's by Trudy Ludwig, and I like to use it to analyze plot events. Now, there are a lot of great reasons to use this book, and Trudy Ludwig is uh, an author who really focuses on social-emotional learning, bullying, inclusiveness, and it really comes through in this text. Those of you who know this text will know it well. Um, if you haven't heard of The Invisible Boy before, 
Um, it's a darling book and it's illustrated by Patrice Barton and her illustrations have this kind of ethereal quality to them that are just, they're adorable and they're lovely and they're so approachable and they really resonate with you. They, they're paired with um, Trudy Ludwig's words just really beautifully. It's a beautiful book. Kind of breaks your heart, makes you cry a little bit each time you read it, but in a good way, <laughs> if there is a good way for that. So one of the reasons I love this book is because the emotional side of it really touches a nerve. It does for the adults who read it and for kids. And it's because we've all experienced that feeling of being invisible or ignored, forgotten or discounted, maybe even underestimated. And we know that that's, those are not good feelings to have about yourself. And this text, for that reason, really reaches all of us. What I like to use it for is to illustrate how things are, uh, like how things are in the text, how things are in the real life, and then also how they could be if we all actually take notice and become aware and act more inclusively, and even to just be kind. There's so many ways that everyday situations can be improved, and uh, there's great opportunities to talk about that in this text. I think we could all do with a little more kindness in the world, and... uh, So it might be a lovely book to read actually on a Zoom call or take a video of yourself reading it. I think it could um, really spur some great discussions with students and their families. And the lovely thing in the back of this text, the author has done a beautiful job of writing out some provocative questions to ask students or for students to talk with about their families and uh, about these issues. And you know, it could be a great time for parents to share some of their invisibleness kind of stories with their children, because we've all had those experiences growing up in school. And first of all, knowing that we're not alone uh, can be a really great way to start those conversations and help kids think about, um, you know, kind of what's going on in the world right now and how they can navigate that and that we really are in this together. And uh, there's ways for us to have conversations about that I think can really support children. So let's talk about today's text, The Invisible Boy. Now, in this book, there's a darling little boy named Brian, and he's in class in uh, Mrs. Carlotti's class. He looks like maybe he's a first grader, second grader, something like that. And uh, Brian is very and drawn in a very unique way, and it's important to know that right up front because students will notice that too. He's drawn in uh, black and white. And he really um, has kind of this invisible quality to him when the rest of the kids are drawn in standard, you know, skin tones and hair colors and and different outfits and things like that. Brian really is black and whites and grays, um, and he just kind of blends into the woodwork. And uh, in this text, there's all these different ways when Brian is really left out. And some are um, kind of on purpose and some are just he's sort of collateral damage. Like I'll share with you in the beginning of the text here in a moment. Um, you know, two kids are really, they demand a lot of attention from the teacher. And of course, Brian doesn't. So that's one way that he kind of becomes invisible to his teacher because so much of her attention has to be placed on students who are more disruptive. Later on, Brian isn't chosen to be on one of the kickball teams. He often um, spends his time alone. He spends a lot of his time drawing. And then one day, a new boy comes to class, and he's picked on a little bit. He has a little bit of a rough start, except Brian smiles at him with kindness right away, whereas some of the other kids 
um, you know, are a little more judgmental in the beginning. And then uh, they make fun of the new boy's lunch and, you know, just kind of new kid kind of things. You know, he's a little bit different. So kids are not really sure what to make of him yet. Well, Brian writes him a nice note, kind of this little olive branch. And the boy takes notice and thanks him for the note and compliments some of his drawings. And then there's this really pivotal point. There's actually lots of turning points in this text, but there's a really pivotal point where the teacher asks students to pair off either in twos or threes to work on a special project. And uh, the new boy, even though he's you know, claimed by another partner, he says, let's make room for Brian too. And so that's when Brian comes over. And not only do you see this wonderful interaction between the three boys and how much fun they have together and and um, Brian his and his talents are really elevated. All of a sudden, Brian is not black and white anymore, right? He really comes to this full life color of who he is. And the story ends with just this notion, you feel like Brian's now on new footing, you know, and he's really, um, he's made some, some special friends and that it, it seems like this friendship is going to continue. So it's a very uplifting and heartwarming story. But um, also sad kind of in the same respect, too, because because none of us want to have a student uh, feel the way that Brian does in class. So it's definitely it spurs a lot of wonderful conversations with children. And um, yeah, like I said, we could use some good conversations like that right about now. So I'm going to share with you just the first um, couple paragraphs of this text. You can get a sense of how it sounds. The Invisible Boy. Can you see Brian, the Invisible Boy? Even Mrs. Carlotti has trouble noticing him in her classroom. She's too busy dealing with Nathan and Sophie. Nathan has problems with what Miss Carlotti calls volume control. He uses his outside voice inside too much. Sophie whines and complains when she doesn't get her way. Nathan and Sophie take up a lot of space. Brian doesn't. So that's how the text begins. And as I said, um, it really shows a, a really kind of remarkable journey that Brian goes through. And there's so many opportunities where things could have been different. And that's what I really like to focus students on in our text dependent questions, in the bridge chart that we build, and then the ultimate writing test that they do. Manage your readers with booktaco.com. Their interface is intuitive, so you can learn how to navigate it the first time you add a student to your roster. Add a student and assign them a unique username. BookTaco gives you control instead of generating logins that are hard for students to manage and remember. And if you're managing over 100 students, you can divide them by section, which is great for middle schools, or if you're teaching intervention groups at different grade levels or from different classrooms. If you have a ton of students signed up, like if you're an instructional coach and you're managing a whole school, there's a quick lookup tool so you can find individual students without having to search through each class. Part of managing class lists is assigning students reading goals, like how many books you want them to read in a month or a trimester. With BookTaco, you can assign the same reading goal to all students, which is such a time saver. And speaking of time savers, you can email your class list with every student reading goal with a single click. When I'm managing student reading data, I need to sort things out quickly and get my hands on the numbers. With BookTaco, you can generate different reports, like the yearly student book goal report 
and get printable grades if you use the gradebook tool and the score student work. There's also a simple way to message individual students, like if you want to encourage them to stay on track toward their reading goal, or it's time to congratulate them on a great writing assignment they turned in. BookTaco has a parent permission letter for when you're signing up students to participate, and it includes a place to share the student's login information so parents can see what their children are working on and kids can access the program anytime. Another reason to love BookTaco is that there's no limit on when students can use the platform, unlike some other reading programs out there. Something else I really like is that I can go in and add game coins to student accounts to reward them anytime. If they've been doing a particularly good job during literacy centers, or they've been extra focused during familiar reading time, I love that I can reward them with extra coins to play some of their favorite brain break games because they deserve to be rewarded. Log on to booktaco.com and learn more about the student management system. That's booktaco.com. So the Invisible Boy offers a great chance for us to think about and project into what the future could look like. What could we change about different events, different scenarios, different situations that would have more positive outcomes, not only for folks like Brian, but really for everyone. And this is a great opportunity for us to bring forward some of those ideas with our students. In the bridge chart that I build with them, it's uh, kind of like more like a T-chart. You know, we've got um, on the left-hand side, things that actually occurred in the text, uh, so significant events that had um, a more negative tone or implications for Brian. And then on the right-hand side, right-hand column, it would be what could we do differently uh, to actually alter those events and make them more inclusive? So on the left, what happened? And on the right, what could be done differently? And on the left, the events I think that are probably the most important to kind of pull out and draw students' attention to are four different events that had some pretty negative implications in them. And I think they're also events that students can certainly relate to or at least empathize with. First, it's actually on the very first page where uh, the teacher was busy dealing with those disruptive students. And uh, I would have a conversation with students and have them brainstorm ideas. Well, what could be done to handle those disruptive students in a way that also serves Brian's needs? That one can be a little bit tricky, I think, for the younger students, um, but sometimes they have good ideas like, oh, well, the teacher could uh, check in with Brian every once in a while and see how he's doing or make sure that she calls on Brian sometimes, you know, that it's not always the loudest students being called on first. Or maybe she, um, you know, puts kids into certain groups and uh, makes sure that the louder students are shouting over Brian and he gets a chance, you know, too. So sometimes kids really do have good ideas about those things, or at least they recognize that the issue is significant. And so they may need some support from you to think through uh, how that could be done differently. Um, but it's still a good conversation. And honestly, it's a good reminder for us teachers too. Another event that I would put on the what happened side is uh, there were several pages where the students were um, choosing sides for kickball teams, and Brian was overtly left out. Uh, oftentimes, children will be left out of things, but it's not quite so in your face as it was in, in this particular event. But I think it's actually um, something that students definitely have experienced or at least have a fear of experiencing. It's a very real fear. And so the children choosing kickball teams 
We only chose some students. Brian was definitely left out. What could be done differently here? Uh, well, maybe they uh, the teacher helps kids, you know, everybody who signs up just chooses a side, or maybe they draw straws or they draw numbers or something like that. You know, there's different ways that maybe we can handle it before students even get out on the kickball field. Or maybe they're only allowed to play those types of games when it's organized and supervised by an adult for a while. So kids learn how to handle those kind of situations. A couple of the other events that I would put on the what happened side for us to discuss are um, Brian was eating lunch with his class or I should say not with this class. He was at the table, but he's certainly not included in the conversation. Uh, children were discussing a birthday party that they attended. And of course, Brian wasn't invited, so he couldn't even participate in the conversation. And we all know how painful that can be when uh, there was an event that happened and we realized we weren't invited. That can even sting as an adult sometimes. That feeling of being left out is not a good one. So what could be done differently in that situation? Also, another one is students actually, this, this one had implications for Brian, but it wasn't happening directly to Brian. He certainly was a bystander. All the children really were bystanders in this situation. When Justin, the new student, arrived and he was eating a particular food from his Korean heritage and students were making fun of his lunch. And again, a very, very rude, inappropriate thing to do, whether it's a, a children or an adult. It still happens, unfortunately, to folks. And uh, there's an, it's interesting that Brian took, took notice of that. He was very sensitive to that. Um, and of course, we understand why, because you know he, he's always on the outskirts looking in. And so he's noticing and very sensitive to these things. And meanwhile, the other children were also bystanders, but their response was just to laugh it off. And so Brian chooses that opportunity to reach out to Justin, and that starts you know, part of their friendship. So there's definitely lots of things that have occurred in this text and definitely lots to talk about about how things could be differently. And we can talk about how could the teacher have done something differently? What could Brian do differently? Because Brian, there's strategies that he could try that he isn't trying in this text. So what could Brian do? What could the new student try? What could all the bystanders students do? That's a really big one because there's more bystanders than anything else. So what could be done differently to actually make things better for everyone? Always important conversations to have with students. So it's a great exercise in empathy. And I also think it's something that if we're careful and we choose good language and concrete examples, it can certainly improve students' behavior and interactions with one another uh, when they're in classroom situations, when they're online, really um, whenever they have interactions with other people. And our interactions with other people right now are really important. And we're really relying on one another right now in ways that we probably didn't imagine. So I encourage you to try reading The Invisible Boy with your students. It's a lovely text any time of year. I think you should do it now. Even if you've read it with them before, remind them of the text. Maybe even have conversations about uh, how things have changed and how our interactions are different, and what could we do to actually make sure that everyone's included in these new interactions. And I would definitely read this text with your students near the beginning of the year. Uh, I think it's a great text to bring out whenever it's needed. So I hope you enjoyed that book and our discussion ideas around that. I want to remind you of some of the resources available for you at letcentric.com. If you uh, log on and click the shop tab, 
you'll see uh, one of the images there is for remote learning. I've actually created a new um, category in there of some of the resources that I'm adding in. And some of them that are available for you, there's uh, a video in there on how to design remote learning read aloud lessons. And I actually use specific um, ideas from lessons that I share on Lentcentric Radio. These can all be done in remote learning situations. And I give examples of how you might do that using episode one, uh, which is our free lesson that's available always in the Lentcentric Radio um, category of the shop tab. You can download that today. There's even a video in there for you to watch and see what the bridge chart uh, can look like. And then in this new video, Designing Remote Learning Read Aloud Lessons, I'm going to show you how to take that into the Google Classroom and different ways where you can do that in an asynchronous way so that students still have really high quality reading and writing experiences that are not worksheet driven uh, and that really have them dig deep and you can use them for good formative assessment purposes and to really help students maintain the skills that they've worked really hard this year to build. There's also ideas for writing instruction in my series, Welcome to Writing. Uh, that's also on YouTube, and I'm gonna be adding a lot more uh, to that as we go. Right now, all those resources are free, and eventually, as I build that out, we're gonna be uh, having some exclusive resources in there um, for folks who wanna purchase those. And uh, like I said earlier, if you're a Litcentric Insider, uh, I will be offering some things for free from there as well. So good time to sign up for that too. I also have a video, a little mini webinar on teaching guided reading remotely. This would be a synchronous situation where you have students live with you. And uh, I'm also developing other resources on how to build out materials when you have an asynchronous situation and you still want students doing leveled reading experiences. There's also the Sound Along Phonics program. Uh, that classroom program, I've added a whole new set of video lessons. So they are remote learning lessons, again, built into the Google Classroom suite. And they are not worksheet-based lessons. They are actually video lessons where I walk students through. They participate um, with the letters, you know, written on paper in front of them. So it's a very hands-on interactive lesson and it's a way for them to practice specific phonemes that they need. So it's a great way to fill in the gaps for students when they have certain holes in their phonics instruction or you want to uh, help students to practice and reinforce some of the skills that maybe when you left school, they were a little bit squishy and not really firmed up yet. Those are great videos for that purpose and they're easily repeated throughout the week. Uh, because they don't, they're only about 10 minutes long to do the lesson, about 15 if you do the extra pieces in there. And uh, trust me, as a parent, they're great to set your kid up. You know they're getting a good lesson and the student can do it independently. So it's pretty wonderful. Um, of course, there's always the growing bundle of eccentric radio lessons available to you. And I have a new product. It's a real mini product. It's a read and respond strategic reading activities. Now these are, there's printable versions as well as uh, editable versions in Google Slides that students can type right on. These are activities that are aligned to strategic actions students take um, during reading as well as thinking through after they read. Things like, uh, can they summarize what they're reading? Can they infer? Can they predict, make connections, analyze, synthesize, uh, critique? 
Uh, those are all some of the things that we definitely need students to do at every reading level. And these activities are perfect to assign to students in Google Classroom or otherwise because they can be matched with any text at any reading level. And I also think it'd be a great idea to, uh, if you're worried about students having access to text or that's something that, um, that your school hasn't really helped provide you with, grab your phone, videotape yourself reading a particular text or find a video on YouTube somewhere or you know, a different app or something like that and plug that it right into the slide deck for students, have them interact with the text that way and have them respond um, to the reading response strategic reading activities. It's really easy to do. And again, we want high quality reading and writing experiences where the priority is on student thinking and expressing that thinking. And we can't have everything be a worksheet-based situation. Our, our students really deserve more from us. And I'm gonna challenge you to think through that a little bit, making sure that the things that they practice are also very meaningful, thinking-driven activities because we can do it. Our students need it, we can do it. And let's kind of end the year in the, in the strongest, best way that we can for them. So I hope you have a wonderful week ahead of you. Follow Litcentric everywhere you look, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, and on YouTube, as I mentioned, become a Litcentric Insider at litcentric.com. About halfway down on the homepage, there's a button for you to click there. Sign up with your email and you'll get freebies every once in a while. Just reminders as new things come out, you're the first to hear about those things. And I love to hear from you. If there's a resource that you really need, or if there's um, a particular type of instruction or a goal or a standard you're trying to meet, and you can't figure out a way to do that in a remote learning situation, email me julieweb.letcentric.com. I would love to hear from you and help you think through that. And you never know, it may inspire a new resource that we share here at Letcentric. So thank you for tuning in and always for tuning in and have a great day at school.